right. Welcome back to another episode of Rick Six. I'm back here with a special guest that you guys have actually never met before, but he's a good friend of mine. We met during an internship this year in College Station, and I was telling you all a little bit about that internship last week on the show. So be sure to go check that out from last week if you haven't already. But Tomas Romo was an intern with me, and he kind of showed me the ropes a little bit. And we were both, you know, inspiring sports anchors. So very fortunate to have him on the show today. We're going to be talking some Aggie sports, talk some NBA finals. And then, of course, the NBA draft is tomorrow night. So lots to look forward to. And Tomas, go ahead and introduce yourself to the people for the audience that, you know, don't know you. Oh, Eric, it, it feels kind of it feels a little different to be on this side. You know, usually when we're doing podcasts, I'm the one hosting and I'm bringing you on. Uh, I'm bringing you on my show and this way. We're flipping it around. But uh, I'm, I'm happy to be here, man. I'm glad you reached out to me and I'm ready to talk some. Uh, I'm ready to talk some NBA finals. That's really what I'm excited to talk about. Yeah, no, we will definitely get to the finals here in a second because, I mean, that's what's fresh on our minds. But let's start with the little Aggie baseball, because I know. You know, we're, we're Aggie fans and, and those Aggie fans love listening to this podcast. And, the, you know, some of them always tell me, hey, talk about more Aggie sports, talk about Aggie sports. And so here we go. I got to mention it with you on here. Let's talk a little bit about the Aggie baseball team. Their season, unfortunately, ended today at the hands of OU. And we know that A&M had to win out to win the national championship. So it was maybe, you know, a far stretch for some people and, and maybe for us. But I think a lot of people, when you look back at this season, will probably say, Okay, disappointing end, but it was a successful season. First year under head coach Jim Sloshenagle. We had a team with a bunch of transfers, and I don't think a lot of people expect us to be in this position in the first place. So just kind of give your thoughts on, first of all, the disappointing loss today, but also overall the Aggie performance this season. Well, I first want to – I'll at least start off this way. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with the game first. I think it would be easier. But uh, in the sense of what I saw today – you'd really just tip your cap to Sinclair, OU's pitcher. That dude struck out, I believe it was 10 Aggies. It was 10 or 11 Aggies. That's the most strikeouts against one pitcher. AM has had all season. Their, their next highest was nine in one game. This is a team that doesn't strike out a lot. And when your best hitters, guys like Jack Moss, who really doesn't strike out, struck out twice today, you got guys like Trevor Warren who struck out three times today. I mean – if your top of your lineup is struggling, and, and so far in the College World Series, even in the Super Regionals, even in the Regionals, we had our seven, or I would say our six, seven, eight guys, even Cole Kaler in the nine spot, pick us up a little bit when these uh, these guys at the top haven't been performing. Dylan Rock really had an underwhelming uh, College World Series, but he did hit a home run today. But when I look at this team as a whole and what they did today, they just didn't, I wouldn't say they didn't show up, they just got beat. You know, they didn't beat themselves like they did in the first game against OU. And I think that's why a lot of Aggie fans had the confidence of this team going in there and winning against OU. After that first game, you faced their best pitcher. You put up eight runs. You allowed, what was it, 13. But you know about more than half of them were unearned runs. You beat yourself, whether it was errors, whether it was walks, whatever it may be. So going into this game, I felt good about it. I felt good about AM's chances of winning this game. And, you know, at game two, the, if they would have won and played tomorrow, it would have been a whole different story. It really would have been. At least the way I see it now, AM has now shown that we're, we're really on the map. And me and you have talked about this so much, regardless. What, it, remember just talking about basketball. We've mentioned football uh, on, you know, on talking on, you know, Texas Ags' podcast that way. But 
we put we we're on the map now. I really think we are in the sense that we were meant to finish bottom in the SEC pretty much. And final four, we were the final four teams in all of college baseball. There's a lot to be said for that. There's a lot to be said for, for what coach Jim Sloshnagel did. And it's one of those things because it's baseball, it's a little bit different, but just kind of having conversations with people these past couple of weeks, they're like, Oh, we still playing. Like, how's this all work? Like what's the double elimination look like? Mm-hmm. And I just don't think people really understand. We were two games away from being in the national championship in one in, in baseball, in the sense of one of the big three sports, football, baseball, basketball, there's a, there's so much to be said for that. This is the closest we've been to a national championship. And I don't know how long in any major sport that way. Football hasn't done it. Basketball hasn't done it. And Coach Schlossing in his first year at AM with a bunch of transfers got it done. Th- this is just laying the groundwork. You know, we this is now going to be a standard going forward that this AM team is going to the College World Series. It's expected now. I know it is for me. And now I'm expecting them to now only, you know, if there are two games away from the national championship. All right, tomorrow, next, next year, let's be in the national championship. And AM had made it, you know, to the College World Series before. I mean, it's not like this was like a new thing. They had made it, what they made it in 2017. They made it in, uh, I think it was what, 2011 or something like that. They, they had made it like three times in the past like they, 10 they or so years, they, but they hadn't won. They haven't won. They were 0 yeah, exactly. 9. Yeah. The fact that they were able to not only make it, I mean, making it is one thing, but going in there and performing, I think that says a lot. And like you said, the standard is going to be okay now they're expected to be on that level. Now, you know, this year, a lot of teams slept on them, you know, preseason polls and everything. They had them ranked way too low. And I don't think a lot of people had them, uh, you know, doing anything until they, you know, that second, the second half of the season, they just exploded and, and started just going off. Everybody was playing together. There was, you know, you're mentioning a bunch of the other guys that were going off, but yeah, no, I think this year, was a great year for me to start watching baseball. I mean, that's all I could say because I, I've never been that big of a, well, I, I wouldn't say that big of a baseball fan. I've always liked baseball. I just have never really had as much knowledge of the sport as I do now. I, I think I've learned a lot more, you know, working with Tex Ags and, 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 you know, you being a baseball guy and, and, and just having to cover it. Like, I, I feel like I've learned so much more in a year than I had, you know, in my whole life. And, you know, MLB's on, I'll, I'll turn on the Rangers every now and then, but I think this is like the first year in terms of college baseball that I've kind of really paid attention and, and figured out like, you know, and how it works, how, how everything goes. And I mean, shoot, I didn't even know last week how the world series worked. I know, I know how it works now. So that, you know, that's great, but uh, <laughs> at least, at least I'm at that point where like, I kind of have a little bit more knowledge. And then next, next season, if, if the Aggies end up, you know, making it to the championship and let's say, I don't know, like God forbid they lose or something. It will be a lot more heartbreaking for me because at that point I had already been watching the sport for a year now. And I, you know, at that point I'm just kind of learning more things. So it's like, Oh dang, that really hurts more because I I pay attention more now Student of the game. You're kind of a student of the game. Absolutely. So as much as I would like to sit here and talk Aggie baseball, let's, let's go ahead and move on. I mean, they, they had a great season, you know, have to have to tip their cap to them and tip their cap to OU. We'll see who they play in the national championship. Let's go ahead and move on into the NBA finals because, you know, it's fresh in our mind. It happened last week. The Warriors were able to win in six games. Now, Tomas, go ahead and uh, tell me I told you so because I know you had been on here. Well, you hadn't been on here, but you've been on Texags, and I've been saying that, you know, you knew this from the very beginning. Eric, I remember, I would say, what was it? Maybe a couple weeks before the, before the playoffs started. I said, Warriors are going to win the finals. 
And once the playoffs started, I said the Warriors are going to – I I was on the Warriors for such a long time. I never backed down. And I would say I believe it was after the first round of the playoffs. That's when I was like, you know what, the Warriors will win in six games. And they won in six. And honestly, I just – I felt good about it. I felt good about the Warriors all year. Uh, I think the biggest thing with that team is people just forgot how dominant they were. Like there was a point in the season where they didn't have Clay Thompson or James Wiseman, and they were still winning games. And then they got Clay Thompson back. Jordan Poole became Jordan Poole, and they didn't even have Wiseman. They didn't have it. Looney came up as of late, but then they had this small ball lineup with Draymond at the five, and they still were blowing teams out of the water. I mean, this is a team that on I look back at that Memphis series, they beat Memphis. They scored 100 like 48 points on Memphis on the Grizzlies, and that's a very talented team, a very good defensive team. They really didn't do that to the Celtics in the finals, but they just played better basketball. The Celtics, you tip their cap to them for getting there because they had they went down a tough road to beat the Bucks and then to beat Miami. Especially with a younger team with guys who haven't been there before. But I will say this: my hot take is that Jason Tatum didn't show up. This guy talks about being one of the top five players in the NBA right now. All right, cool. You can be you can be that in the regular season, but in the playoffs, I I've not seen Jason Tatum be that guy, and I've seen the conversations going around Twitter and other places saying if if you took LeBron his rookie year and put him on that Celtics team, do they win the finals? And I sit there and I go, maybe Jason Tatum is more a little bit more talented than rookie LeBron was in the sense of the maturity aspect of being in the league, but if we're just talking about having that extra step that extra gear, knowing that competitive edge of, hey, we need to win. I have to make this happen. I did not see that from Jason Tatum. He did not take over one basketball game. And Jalen Brown, no one's talking about Jalen Brown. He's the only reason I think the Celtics were even in some of these ball games. And I don't know. I, I think this. I think Jason Tatum, for all that stuff he did with the whole Kobe thing, I get it. But come on, Kobe's not going to – if you want to be like Kobe, you got to win the finals. And that's what made me mad because I, I, I'm not, not saying it was disrespectful or anything, but I just thought it was ridiculous to do that when you won one game. They won one game and he made this whole big deal when they came back thinking he was going to run away with the finals. No, there's, it's a seven-game series for a reason. And Jason Tatum got showed up and he didn't show up to play. That's it. Yeah, and I think Jason Tatum does deserve criticism for sure because I don't think it's a hot take, Tomas. He, you're right. He did not show up at all. And I know it's real easy to be a person that can be like, oh, well, at the end of the day, he still made the finals. He's only 24 years old. Cut him some slack. But it's like, no, he didn't perform in the biggest stage of them all when people were calling him a top five player in the league. And look, I respect the way he carries himself. Like he's a very humbled guy. But when you're going to compare yourself to guys like, well, I'm not saying he's comparing himself to guys like Kobe. I get it. Kobe's his idol. We get that, right? Like, idolized his game, grew up as a Lakers fan. You know, he, he loved Kobe, right? I get that. No disrespect to that at all. But if you're going to make that public, that you're a Kobe guy and that, you know, Mamba mentality, this and all that, at least show out. He needs to be better in bigger situations because there were so many situations in the finals where he just completely folded, fell apart, and right. he did not will his team. You know, recency bias, I was talking about this last week on the, on the show, Tomas, I was saying recency bias in the NBA is the absolute worst. If one player 
has one good series or outplays another player on the other series, they automatically think that that player is better than that other player. But that it just doesn't work that way. Like, I, you know how many people told me that Jason Tatum was better than KD because he outplayed him in the first round and swept him? That's not how it works. I get it. He played better than him. KD had a terrible final series. Okay. But you never look at Jason Tatum as one of the best players in the world. Every year with Kevin Durant, you're going to expect him to be the best player in the world. Jason Tatum is just not on that level right now. And we saw that in the finals. He's a top 10 player. Okay. He's one of the better players in the NBA. But if we're going to start throwing him in the top five, top three, and comparing him to guys like Giannis, LeBron, Luka, Jokic, two-time MVP, like Tatum is not on that level. Yeah, He's not on that level. And and you, you could see it was evident from game one in game one. He had 13 assists, right? He was more of a playmaker that game, but he didn't have to do anything in the fourth quarter for them to win that game, right? It was all the role players. It was all Al Horford. It was all Derek White. You know, those role players stepped up. And in games where the role players didn't step up, you had other guys go off like Jalen Brown. It wasn't even Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum was pretty much a liability in game six because he just folded at the wrong time. So, you know, I think he just needs to take a little bit of a step back I got to give him props. All right. You know, like he played the most minutes in the playoffs by a wide margin. No other player had played as much minutes as he did in the playoffs other than LeBron James did that one year where he carried the Cavs and they got swept by the Warriors and he had to play like 50 minutes a game. Right. But yeah, so I got to give him props, but he had a lot of turnovers, a lot of careless turnovers. The Celtics had a lot of careless turnovers. You know, I had a little bit of a, a debate last week on the show with my buddy Preston and I was saying that I thought, and this is when the, the Celtics were up 2-1, and the series was far from over, but I, you know, that's when the Celtics had all the momentum. And I was saying, it kind of seems like as of right now in that moment, the Celtics have more depth than the Warriors, the way the role players were playing. But then once the Warriors, obviously their star power is just going to overmatch the Celtics every time. And we saw that with Curry, Paul, Clay. I was just saying the depth, like if you were taking like all the depth from Tatum, Brown, Horford, William. And even the guys off the bench like Derek White, right? If like those guys are on, I think their depth outmatches the Warriors. But if you don't have your star player like Jason Tatum taking over the game, like guys that, you know, they're going to take over the game like Steph Curry and Jordan Poole and Clay Thompson, then it really doesn't matter how much depth you have. At that point, it's just who's the best, who is the best player on the court? And the best player on the court was 100% Steph Curry, who won his first finals MVP. And I think I, I just want to add this, you know, before we get to another topic. The last thing I want to kind of say about Jason Tatum, there was so many moments in – think about it. I, I look at the third quarter in majority of these games that the Warriors won. The Warriors were going to halftime up double digits. It happened in two games. And then the third quarter, you're sitting there. At one point, I, I, man, I want to say it was game five. The Celtics took the lead in the third quarter at one point for the first time since the opening minutes go to game six i believe it got to like a seven point game at one point in the third quarter you're the best player on your team you your role players like you said got you into that position to now not only take the lead but win the game when you're down by double digits and jason tatum did nothing nothing that is when the best players the superstars around the nba's your lucas your Jokic, your LeBrons, your Giannis's, your Kevin Durant's, they take over. There's a difference there, and Jason Tatum doesn't have that yet. Honestly, I think it's a maturity thing. I think it's a maturity thing, and I think it's a 
him just thinking, I, I just don't think he understands how when it's time to play and it's time to win, th- it doesn't matter who it is. Some guys on other teams have it. Even guys on his own team, the role players, those guys want to win. There's a winner's mentality, and I don't think Jason Tatum has fully grasped that and understands what that means at the NBA level. Yeah, and I think that that comes with his unselfishness, right? And sometimes your unselfishness could be your Achilles heel, right? right. Cuz I feel like some in some situations star NBA players that want to elevate their team in situations like that you have to be selfish. Like you just have to be sometimes. Jason Tatum's not a selfish player. Like he he's okay with scoring 10 points and getting 13 assists as long as his team wins, but your team's not always winning. So you got to be selfish sometimes. And you got to take over the game or at least have that winning mentality, like you were saying, to take over the game. He often too many times in those critical situations either folds or just kind of has that mindset of, like, eh, whatever, on to the next game. Like, bro, no, you give 100% the whole time, even when it goes wrong. Like, for somebody that idolizes Kobe, like, you should know that you should want to always win. And no matter how bad you're playing or how bad your team is doing, In critical situations, you have to be better in those moments. He's not a bad player by any means. He had a bad series, but I just think, you know, moving into the future, if we're going, if we're going to compare him to guys like we were mentioning earlier, if we want to put him in that top five, because all that recency bias, they had him in the top five, blah, 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 all this, you know, all that better than this, better than that. Okay. Well, if you're going to say that, don't. Don't get all mad when we start criticizing his play if he doesn't show up. Because, I mean, the first four games, he shot 27% from all shots that were two-point range. So, you know, it's got to be better. Uh, But I guess moving on to the next topic, you know, I think we just always got to mention Steph Curry. I mean, just talk a little bit about where he kind of falls under your radar now as as some of the all-time greats. I mean, obviously, he didn't need a finals MVP, right, to to validate his career, right? Yeah, I don't think he needed it, but everyone made it seem like he did which I thought was kind of ridiculous. I mean, the guy's won four rings. He's probably one of the best dynasties in all the sports. Steph Curry is the greatest shooter of all time, without a doubt in my mind. No debate. No debate. And secondly, there's just some – he changed the game of basketball. And I don't think people really understand that sometimes, that nobody was doing or trying to attempt what Steph Curry did until he did it. Before Steph, what was it? It was all about the big men. You know, you think about the guys like Dwight Howard, the Blake Griffin, the DeAndre Jordans, the whole Lob City thing. That's how you played. You wanted big guys who were throwing lobs. That was the exciting wow factor in the NBA. Steph Curry comes on this, onto the scene. The Splash Brothers draining threes from half court, you know, launching. I mean, everything that he does that is a part of his arsenal in his game was not seen before he came into the NBA. And I think that changed the game of basketball and the way people coach, the way people think. And that's why I, I truly do believe the way the NBA is the way it is now that there's teams scoring 140 points a night because everyone is looking for guys who can recreate what Steph Curry has done. He elevated the game of basketball. He changed it. And he is up there as one of the, in my opinion, by the time his career is done, there's no way you can't sit there and look at him as a top 10 player of all time. People have him now as a top 10 player of all time. And I'm not, you know, if you want to say that, I mean, all power to you. I, I think I don't he, think you can put him in the top five. He's I don't think he's a top five. No, player, no, no, no. But no, he's no. a top ten. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. And I know a lot of people have you know, probably been saying at this point, okay, he's the greatest point guard of all time. I'm gonna slow down a little bit on there because there's a guy named Magic Johnson, obviously. And right. and, and I don't that, think Steph Curry's a true point guard. He's a shooter that can play the mm-hmm. one. I think that's yes. the way that I see because you have Clay Thompson 
who is not going to run the one? Yeah, exactly. If you want to argue like, okay, changing the game, maybe. Yes, okay, you want to put him on in the conversation of Magic Johnson. But Magic Johnson won multiple finals MVPs. He won five NBA championships, right? So like he's done everything Curry has done. So it, you know, if we're, if we're talking about accolades, right? It's Magic Johnson. If we're talking about changing the game, okay, if you want to put Curry over him, fair enough. But if you're going to say Curry's top five all time, right? Top five all time, you were saying that he's the greatest point guard of all time because Magic Johnson, in my opinion, is the top five player all time. Right. So yeah, uh, I'm going to back, I'm going to pump the brakes on that argument a little bit, but I thought it was, it was great to mention, um, you know, regardless of what you think, Steph Curry deserved this. He finally got his finals MVP. Like I said, he didn't have to win it, but it was nice that it just kind of added to his legacy. I mean, the fact that he went out there, he averaged 31, five and six, shot 48% from the field, 44% from three against the number one ranked defense. I think that that alone is just, it just shows how special of a player Stephen Curry is. And, 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 and no matter who's guarding him, like, and no matter what defense it's again, what team it's against, He's going he's gonna to find a way to make it work. And, and even in what was, I think it was game five where he didn't make a single three-point shot. The streak was broken. He had like a 300-game streak. He you know, made at least one three-pointer a game. It was snapped in that game. Shot terrible that game. And even with that game, he still was able to shoot 44% from three. So that's impressive. Got to give him credit. Warriors win. You called it. Congratulations. And uh I mean, you got anything else to say? I mean, I've already talked a little bit about the role players of Wiggins, you know, Gary Payton and all the other guys that, that, that contributed to this championship. I, t- I was talking a little bit about them last week, even when they were down 2-1. So uh, if there's anything you want to mention, by all means, go right ahead. No, there's nothing else I really want to mention. I just, I'm honestly happy for Andrew Wiggins too. Just everything with his career has been the ups and downs for him to win a championship and be a pivotal part of that not only this not only the the win but just this that organization as a whole and what he's been able to do these past couple of years with the warriors and finally able to get that ring clay thompson after everything he's been through as well and i'm kind of curious to see what the warriors do next especially with wiseman uh, i've heard talks that they're looking they might trade him or they might even trade clay thompson who knows but yeah. those rumors are circulating and i'm curious to see how the offseason plays out Yep. Curious to see how the offseason plays out for sure. And, you know, it's really interesting because the NBA draft comes up so fast. It's happening tomorrow. I can't believe it's already almost here. And then the offseason is just right. You know, free agency is like the week after. So it's it's literally coming just like that. They don't mess around when the season will start in October. And uh, NBA just keeps moving. So really interested to see, you know, how the season plays out. And also, Kevon Looney is going to be an unrestricted free agent. Uh, so if they don't retain him, maybe they do end up keeping a guy like Wiseman because they won't be able to keep a guy like Looney. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, but let's let's talk a little bit NBA draft. You know, I don't think we have to go through all the players that are going to be up there, but I want to talk, you know, specifically the top three guys that are probably going to go one, two, three. And I think it's pretty obvious at this point. Jabari uh, Smith Jr. from Auburn. He's looking to go number one to the Magic. Number two to the Oklahoma City Thunder is probably going to be Chet Holmgren. And then number three to the Houston Rockets, it's looking like it's going to be Paulo Bancuro. So when you look at all those three guys, who, who kind of you know sparks your eye the most? Okay, Jabari Smith, he's the clear number one to me. That guy, he's, he's the best player in the draft, no doubt. He has all the intangibles to be a superstar at the next level. He played in the SEC this past season with one of the best teams in all of college basketball. And that was one of the best conferences in all of basketball as well. 
He's played some good competition. He has proved night in and night out that he's the best player on the floor, and he deserves to be the first overall pick. Holmgren, on the other hand, I think he's overrated. Uh, I don't see him as he's, – he's a guy when I look at him and I think about, you know, what, what do NBA scouts see or what does teams see in him? They see a dude with a bunch of potential. They see a guy who's about seven foot and could shoot the three, and they're like, oh, my gosh, this guy would be in – this guy is a unicorn – and they want to use – they throw that phrase around way too much. They started with Porzingis mm-hmm. and where he is now. I'm not saying that's Holmgren's career path, but it's just the truth. He's, he's skinny. He's lanky. He's, I don't think he's going to be physical enough to play down low in the NBA anytime soon. And then you look at the Rockets. I don't understand why the Rockets are going to draft another guard. You know, it, 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 I, get, I, get the, I get why. I mean, Moncaro, he's a great player. We saw what he's able to do at Duke. But why would you draft another guard and move on from a guy like Christian Wood? I understand it because I don't think Christian Wood really wanted to be in Houston anymore. But what are you going to – you're not going to – it just almost looks like they're trying to build a small ball lineup, and it just doesn't work, you know? Houston needs guys – I don't think Houston – Houston just needs players. I know that sounds weird just to say, of course, you need guys on a team, but they just need – an actual roster that they can go out and figure a way to gel together. How, okay, this guy, this is what we're going to do this season. You're going to play the one, you're going to play the two, you're going to play the three, you're going to play the four, you're going to play the five, and you're going to play, y'all are my starters, and you're going to play every single day. We're going to find a way to make this work. There's no point in drafting another guard when you have about four or five of them already and try and get this rotation and trying to get guys to play the three or maybe even the four. It doesn't make sense because you're just trying to find you're, – you're basically trying to put all these star players together that can shoot the basketball, can score the basketball. No, you need a team. I will live and die by the reason the Warriors are so good is because they play team basketball. You know why they play team basketball? Because who's their coach? Steve Kerr. Who played on two of the best teams that way? Steve Kerr, the San Antonio Spurs. He learned from the great Greg Popovich. And who else? The Chicago Bulls. Phil Jackson, that dude's that that guy taught. I mean, you had Michael Jordan. Don't get me wrong, but we all know Steve Kerr hit some big time shots, and as he says in uh in the parade, he bailed Michael Jordan out. So Steve, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> there, there's there's coaches and there's teams now in the NBA where I don't think people really understand. You have to play team basketball if you want to win a championship in multiple championships. It's not just a one player or a two player, three player team. Yeah, I mean, some very well-said points right there, Tomas. Now, in terms of the top three picks, I'm just going to go ahead and say right now that out of those three guys, those three guys have the most, like, you know, talk and and skill set upside, whatever you want to say, right? Like, those are the clear number three guys that you're going to go with this year. But in my opinion, none of those guys are going to be the best player in the draft. I think Jaden Ivey from Purdue is going to be the best player in the draft. I'm a big, uh, I'm a big Jaden Ivey fan. Uh, this that kid, that kid can play. Yeah, play at Purdue. I saw him at Purdue and saw what yeah. he was able to do. And I agree with you 100. percent That guy is going. I think that guy is going to probably make more noise within the first couple of years than any of those top three picks. Besides yeah. maybe Jabari Smith. Well, I wanted I wanted to mention that because uh, you know a lot of buzz is going to, and then you know that's the topic we're talking about. It's just those top three guys. We don't have time to knock into the whole you know 14 lottery picks and everything, because obviously Jay Ivey is probably going to go fourth. Uh, but the point is, is I, I wanted to mention that because I know we're not going to be able to tackle that. But in terms of those three guys, I think out of those three guys, Bankuro probably sparks me the most personally. Now, the thing with Jabari Smith is, is it's kind of like 
the one thing I'm certain for him, his competitiveness, like he's always going to bring it 110%. I think that's what they speak highly of him is he's always going to bring it right. And the problem is, I don't know if he's going to be as good of a shot creator or a playmaker. I think he lacks playmaking skills. So I think he he needs to be in a situation where he has somebody that can create the shots for him and do a lot of the easy stuff for him. Because I mean, he's 6'10". He can shoot the three like from crazy, right? He's like arguably the best shooter in the draft at 6'10". And you don't look at guys like, you know, guys like that. That's scary, right? You know, you think of guys like Kevin Durant. And he's uh, not going in the best place either to really yeah. do that with the Magic. There's guys on that Magic team. I mean, Jalen Suggs, right? Don't get me wrong. He was hurt this past year, you know, off and on. But that dude was a baller in college. That dude mm-hmm. was legit. Mm-hmm. And it's we saw. I saw nothing from him. Obamba too. Yeah. You know, there's so many guys who go to Orlando and their career just kind of fades away and you never hear about them again. Yeah. So the thing with Jabari Smith, I, I think there's too many question marks. And then really this goes with home green too. like moving on to home green. I think there's so many question marks between those top two picks that I really think that Houston's kind of getting a steal in Bancuro because I think Bancuro doesn't have as many question marks. And I think he might be the most NBA ready player. I'm not th- saying he's going to be the best player in the draft, but out of those three guys, I think he's the most NBA ready player. I think the only thing Jabari Smith is better than him at when I, when I watch both of them play is really three point shooting. You know, he's the best, he's arguably the best shooter in the draft. I think Van Curl is a better playmaker. I think he's a better shot creator. I think he's a better defender. And it's real. I just look at Van Curl and I just think overall, he's the much more better and ready player to play at the NBA level. I don't know about that with Smith, but you never know. And then home green, the thing about home green is just, it's just too up in the air. It's almost like that point where like, he's either going to be the superstar with all these skill set, and, and, you know, it turns out to be like thunder got this guy and he ended up being a, you know, a superstar big man and he's awesome. Or he can end up being like this huge bus who just doesn't pan out because he has a slight thin frame. There's so many narratives with home read and that's what puts so many question marks on, on him for me to think like, okay, he's going to be better than Van Curl. With Van Curl, I don't have any of those question marks. You know, I look at a guy like home green and I'm like, okay, well, home Green's either going to be really good or he's going to be a bust. So I don't see much in between there. there. I really do agree with you there. I think you hit it right on the T. Yeah. So, uh, you know, despite what we think about all those three players, do you think it's going to be that order though? You know, we're going to go Smith, Home Green, Bancuro. Do you think, you know, maybe Home Green, Bancuro, Smith, or how, how do you see it playing out? I see Smith as the number one. I see Home. I, I agree with you, Home Green at two. And I think the Rockets have made it pretty clear. If Bancaro's on the board, they're going to draft him. Uh, I think a part of me, you know, I mean, Jay and Ivy's probably going to go four. But there w- I wouldn't be surprised if he finds his way into the top three and a guy like Home Green might slips out. Yeah. I don't think Barry Smith does, but I could see I could see Home Green dropping a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I I've heard the Thunder have had, you know, real big interest in in a guy like Jaden Ivy too. And God, I couldn't even imagine him and Shea Gilgis. That'd be awesome. Like that'd be a deadly backcourt. That'd be awesome to see. So if they do do that, you know, that's gonna that's gonna, you know, kind of mix up the draft a little bit. Right. I think so too. And it's also one of those things, if that happens and home green starts sliding, how far does he slide? How far does he slide? Yeah. Because it looks like say in some instance, it's, it goes, you know, they go Smith one to the magic number two, the thunder get Ivy. They mix it up. It's like, Oh, home green. Then at that point, the rockets are in on Bancuro. So he's not going to go, he's not going to go third. So it's like, how far is he going to fall? You know? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Should be fun, Tomas. You know, going to be tuning in tomorrow to see where all these players go. I always kind of love sitting around 
you know, pay attention to the lottery picks. And after that, I don't really care that much to, you know, the same, but I probably, I watched about maybe the first, like, like 12, 15 picks. And that's yeah. that. but Tomas, it was great catching up with you, man. Uh, enjoy some of these, uh, you know, enjoy the, the draft tomorrow for sure. And, and we'll talk soon, man. Thanks for joining me. Of course, Eric, anytime, my man. All right. And we will see you guys next week.